Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about getting paid to win. This will be very different than our recent episode on paying to win. Well, mostly differently anyway. What we're really talking about today are things like cash prizes for competitive board and card gaming events. We'll probably mix in some esports talk as well, since there are a lot more cash prizes for esports than for board gaming. Well, at least for now. And that's why we're talking about it. Are t-sports going to be the next big thing? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a welcome to our newest patron, Agnes Toth. I think that got Good job. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> and thank you to all our other patrons as well. Do you see how I threw in T-Sports? Because I want to make that a thing. Tabletop yeah. gaming sports. Oh. <laughs> I was like, gonna- T-Sports. I don't under. I don't know this term. <laughs> you don't think it's going to catch on? No. It could be like B-Sports. <laughs> I think B-Sports and C-Sports would be two separate categories. But we can talk about that later, I guess. Let's let's be honest. It's not really a sport. But it is a competition. All right. First of all, though, we have some apologizing to do. We are Again. only a day late, though. And not even a full day, because... I mean, I guess sort of a full day. We're recording one day late, but... It's, it's all Kitty's fault. No, it's United Airlines' fault. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> because I left for my flight on time... And got to my connecting flight on time. And then there were mechanical issues with the plane that delayed us by two hours. And that delay turned into a four-hour delay, which turned into a six-hour delay, which turned into an eight-hour delay, which turned into us finding another flight out of Dulles International Airport, where we were trapped, and flying through Indianapolis all the way back to Chicago, getting here at nine o'clock at night. But our luggage was not. So And your recording gear was in the luggage. All in the luggage. Yes. And what have but we learned? Luggage retrieved is present. And we've learned, and learned that you should always carry on your recording equipment. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of very fragile souvenirs that I prioritized. Over our listeners. At some point, at some point, all of our bags ended up being checked. Like, even our carry-on bags got... But the one got gate-checked, so mm. I will... From now on, it's going in my carry-on bag. No. I've been burned enough by luggage where I will check luggage, but I'd never pack, like, all my clothes in this suitcase and all Sydney's clothes in that suitcase. It's everything is split across, two days in this one for both of us, two days in this one, four days in that one, and we'll check two of them and the other one we're carrying on. Yep. I used to always check my luggage, always, because I hated carrying stuff on the plane. I tried to never check luggage. Really? Yeah. But we did 10 days, and that was just too much for one or two, I guess, carry-on suitcases. Up until very recently for me, I would always check luggage. I would be the guy on the plane that would like walk in with nothing but like an iPad and a phone, <laughs> and I'd just sit down, and I'd be like, I got all the room. I don't have to worry about like stuff above or like cramming stuff below my seat or any of that. I used to travel for work a lot, and those are just short trips, usually three nights, and I would bring a carry-on, but the guy I was traveling with would always check it. It was just a carry-on. It was a carry-on size, but he'd check it every single time. So I'm like, there is no advantage to me, because I still have to wait an extra half hour to get your bag before I can leave. It infuriated me, but he was a nice guy, so I'm like, all right, fine. 
Yeah. <laughs> carry on. Carry on whenever you can. We did get a yeah. response from what? Oh, I was just going to say, I switched to carry on just to see what that life is like. And it is kind of nice. When I went on a trip, I just like rolled my bag onto the plane. And then when I got off the plane, I just left. I felt like I was leaving something behind. Like I <laughs> somehow cheated the system. <laughs> Welcome to the rest of the traveling world. Just walk right past that carousel. Right. Yeah, it is it is super rare that I'll check anything. Although now traveling with Zachary, it, we're checking all kinds of stuff. Because you have a stroller, you have a car seat, and it's just you're checking everything. So oh one my gosh, tiny my car li- seats end up half of the time on the conveyor belt, but half of the time they end up at the oversized baggage and you never know where it's going to be. Yeah. A tiny little <sighs> human and you triple the luggage. It is insane. So much more stuff. <laughs> but at least most airlines, the the stroller and the car seat are checked for free. So yeah, I'm like, all right, that's not too bad. And they fly for free if they sit on your lap, which is its own challenge. But yeah. But Kitty, you left a nice little oops two weeks ago. And we got a response mm-hmm. from the oops. Did you see that? I did. I'm going to let you read it. Okay. So um, not the real JTT emailed not the us. Real JTT. <laughs> And said, just wanted to let you all know how much I appreciate what you do for your listeners. You didn't have to post an episode just to apologize, but you did anyway. This is one of the myriad reasons why your podcast is my favorite. Y'all, I can't even do it. Y'all are the best. Hope (laughs) everything is going well. Thanks for all you do for us. So we appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. And then two weeks later, we're late again. So, but only we, a day this time. Only a day. <laughs> and, and I posted a, a prelude earlier this morning. So we're recording on Tuesday night. Normally we record on Sunday or Monday night. And Kitty was flying back from London. And we planned on recording Monday night because you were going to get in like, what, two or three in the afternoon. Two o'clock in the afternoon. I was supposed yeah. to be home by 2.30. So it was going to be, we knew it was going to be close, but we're like, eh, we can do this. And so Monday night, we were set to record, and then it just kept getting delayed. And finally, we called us like, okay, don't worry about it. We'll we'll go a day late. But I recorded a prelude this morning because I wanted to kind of tease the episode. Because I'm sort of excited about this one. It's another excuse for me to talk about Keyforge. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm adding in the context of a bunch of other things, too. Because I've on this particular topic, so what we're talking about today is essentially tournaments. You know, cash prized tournaments. For those who don't follow Keyforge as closely as I do, which is 99.999% of the world, um, Keyforge recently announced, well, Fantasy Flight recently announced a $100,000 Vault Warrior Tour. So this is their money payout tour. Now, the $100,000 is for the finals, and there'll be 10 semifinals or qualifiers, each one worth $10,000. The winner of each qualifier will win 2500 of that 10000 and the winner of the finals will win 25000 of that 100000 This is the first time that Fantasy Flight has ever done cash prizes for any of their games, but it's not the first time that cash prizes have been given out for these things. Uh, Magic has been doing it forever. In fact, Magic has 32 players on their pro circuit that are under salary. Wizard of the Coast pays them to play in these tournaments because they're at that level where it's kind of like um like a sports team, you know, where they're still competing. And if you win, they win big prize pools, but they make money no matter what. And that keeps these level players in the game. And it brings just a lot of visibility to the pro circuit. So that's really what kind of sparked this. But now my question to you guys and... 
I've gone all over the place on this since this is announced. What do you think about offering cash prizes for competitive games? What does that do to the community? What does that do to your feeling of the game? Does it matter if you're not playing it at all? Is like, what is your gut reaction to hearing something like this? I kind of have like a twofold reaction. Because on one hand, I'm like, this is cool. Keyforge, I actually play that. And I feel like if I gave it, you know, a 10th of a percent more of my attention, I could play it pretty competitively. That's I could win money. How cool. And then on the other hand is like, but is this going to mean that everyone who's at my level thinking like, oh, if I just put in a little more effort and now there's a whole lot more people who are playing a lot more competitively and those like, oh, I forgot to do this or, oh, I should have done this moments now no longer exist. And it turns into a much harsher world of competitive play, even in these non uh, cash payout tournaments because it's all the same people going because they want the practice, they want the experience and see what they're up against kind of stuff. I don't know. That is sort of where I'm at as well. And, and to be clear, <laughs> they still have their organized play events. They have what they call vault tour events, which is play for kind of in-game currency that you can spend on prizes. So t-shirts and play mats and stuff like that. And the better you do, the more of this, of the, the amber shards, the more shards you get that you can buy prizes with. But you don't win cash in those. If you win the finals, you'll get like a, a seven or $800 voucher to the next vault tour. And so they'll pay for your travel and hotel, or at least part of it, depending on the amount. But you don't win actual, here's a check you won. So there is this still casual circuit, but yeah, does the casual circuit get kind of pushed into the more competitive because you have all these people that are training for the Vault Warrior tournament? And Fletcher, have you play you play Hearthstone, right? Uh, I have. I don't. I don't anymore. So Hearthstone's another one where there is competitive cash prizes that Blizzard. Like they sponsor tournaments and the winner wins thousands of dollars. Yes. Is that something that you ever participated in? Did you like participate in qualifiers or did you just kind of ignore all of that? I have no interest in any of that, honestly. I just any any kind of of that like pro circuit stuff. I am just completely uninterested because it is for me, it is way too much time, too much time and too much money involved in something that I to me is like a game and not a job. Yeah, it starts making it less fun to play if you're taking it that seriously. Like it, it can ruin the fun aspect of the game. The yeah. only thing that came anywhere close to that for me, and not that I competed, but I watched when StarCraft Two was like big. I would watch some of the pro games that were played, um, but I personally had no interest in like really competing at that level. Um, but I would watch some of the games, but I don't anymore. See, that's interesting, too, because I actually, I enjoy watching the finals of, like, Keyforge tournaments. I like watching the final matches. And just, just like the last two, and sometimes I'll watch a few others if it's like, oh, this person, you know, had this really interesting deck or something like that. And they are interesting to watch, assuming that there's a good commentator. Because you can't really make out what's going on if you're trying to like look at the cards on a small screen. But if you have a commentator that's telling you everything, like, oh, they just played this card, oh, that was a great move, or oh, I wouldn't have done that. It just basically like commentary for anything. It does right. it is kind of a fun thing to watch. 
I mean, you can watch commentators on like blackjack games or poker games, and that makes it a lot more fun than just like, you know, four silent people sitting around a deck of cards. Like, <laughs> that is not interesting to watch. It's all about like the commentary. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think that should be my niche. I should start doing Keyforge commentary. Um, I'm going to go for more of like the dodgeball style ESPN ate the Ocho um style commentary and that they'll pay me to do that and that's how i'm gonna make money from keyforge <laughs> honestly <laughs> once that's it's like the gold rush thing right most people didn't get rich on collecting gold you got rich on selling things to the people who wanted to get the gold yeah i'm gonna sell shovels <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> and there's gonna be a so a few things with keyforge going cash prize that at first I was very, very against it because I like playing. I like winning. I like being competitive. I like having an environment where I can be as competitive as I want to be. And in those environments, I'm very much, I'm not helping my opponent. I'm, I'm not saying, Oh, you said that you were going to play logos and you changed your mind. You haven't played any cards, but you still have to play logos. I'm not like that kind of competitive, but if someone plays a card and they want to take it back, I'm not going to offer Hands that. Off the chess piece. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is I'm not going to offer that. Oh, I should have done this. If someone says that's like, oh, I should have done this. I'm just going to like smile and nod. If someone says, oh, I didn't mean to play that card. I wanted to play this card first. I'm, I'm probably just going to let them do it because I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, unless we're in the top eight in the top eight, like, no, it's everything is it's hardcore at that level. And I like that level of play. And I like a place for that. As long as I'm playing friendly people. At Gen Con, I lost in the top eight. But the guy I lost to was a really cool guy. I'm like, and he ended up winning the whole thing. And I'm like, cool. I liked that he won. I Like, he was his first vault tour. He didn't really have a local community. He came here and he won. And I was excited for him. When cash is on the line, even though I might not change, like, I'm not going to get any more serious or less serious because there's cash on the line. I, I don't need the cash. But if the person across the table is playing because it is now work for them, is a job for them, that changes how I feel about losing to some of these people. You know, they're, it's just, there's something different about the type of player that could potentially be there. And that's my concern. But then I'm thinking, this is a big deal. This is Fantasy Flight saying, we're willing to back $200,000 in prize money for this game. Which A, says this game's going to be around a while because we're investing in it. B, other people are now looking at this and saying, oh, wait, wow, this is a real, this isn't just some silly card game. There's real money on the line. It could bring in a lot more players. It brings in a lot of the people that, you know, would normally maybe not pay any attention to it at all, growing the community. It could be a really good thing. And, and it's like, I'm just torn on on that aspect of it. I think in general, it's going to be good, but I don't know. I mean, I think we already encountered at Gen Con, though, like there are some people who were already taking it very seriously. There are, it, it's not all friendly community anymore. There is a little bit of the competitive edge already seeping in before they were offering cash prizes. And there were times where I found myself kind of on both sides of it, where like somebody would say like, oh, you know, I said this, but I meant this or whatever it was, or they would ask me a question um, and I would either answer or not, kind of, you know, <laughs> based on 
how much I felt it helped them. I don't know. Like, I was playing an Age of Ascension deck. So when somebody saw my deck list, they were like, I can't ask to see your card. I can just see the deck list. I was like, yes. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, like, part of my only advantage of playing this AOA deck is that not everyone knows all my cards. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to give up that edge. And then there was another time where everybody had started playing and I was the only match where my opponent hadn't shown up yet. And I found out what the rules are for a late opponent and really threw me off. And I was like kind of getting irritated that, you know, somebody hadn't taken it as seriously as me, that like everyone else in this room was on time, made it. And I know that, you know, life happens at these conventions. You've got to get food or whatever it is. But it threw off my game that things started late and I felt like I was rushed, even though we didn't even end up going to time. It still just put me on tilt and yep. how that affects your gameplay and all these things. I don't know how much a cash prize would really change how seriously I take it, maybe. <laughs> well, and I don't know if it makes it if it makes it more like those types of like vault tours there's really nothing on the line you show up you pay your entry fee and Prestige. you might win or lose yeah yeah so you have a <laughs> lot of new players that are playing that you won't have any new players here because you have to pay to enter the qualifier and then you have to win the qualifier well you have to be in i think the top x to get into the finals and so it's kind of like the world series of poker type of thing where you're doing buy-in in these satellite events and then the winners can move on and before the vault tour, like the final one, there's two days of qualifiers, so you can qualify on site, or at least go and try to qualify on site. So this it's a little bit bigger of a deal, and it's a lot more serious. But yeah, and you just it's just a different way of playing. There's the recently there was a vault tour, a Keyforge vault tour in Las Vegas. This was last weekend, and the winner they they won. They got all their shards. They're you know on the top of the player list right now. And it turned out that a day later, as people were watching the game that was live streamed, they noticed a play where he was had to shuffle his deck because he needed to draw. He picked up his deck, he picked up his discard pile, and he looked through his entire discard pile, collapsed the discard pile, pointed at his amber, counting amber, flipped over his discard pile, and then dealt from the top of it. Never shuffled. Never offered a cut, dealt himself five cards that he just looked at off the top of an unshuffled deck of cards. This has caused quite a stir in the Keyforge chat areas as, was this a mistake? Was this an, on purpose? He's been playing Magic forever. You know, he used to be a Magic designer. And, he, he, you know, I know this guy. He wouldn't have done this. And another person's like, oh, no, he definitely would have done this. We, you know, there's a discard, Discord chat screenshots and, you know, on over under on how many times he cheats. And I mean, it's like, it's just crazy the amount of drama around this particular incident. And this was not for cash. Yeah. I am surprised the opponent didn't say anything. It was a very subtle but blatant thing. When you watch it, you have to be watching for it. Otherwise, you wouldn't notice it. But once you see it, you're like, wow, that was completely blatant. And my argument is, He's been playing card games for 20 years. I don't care what the stress... It was the first game of day two. It wasn't fatigue. And somewhere along the line, he just decided that, you know, I'm not going to shuffle this. He was ahead. 
you know, people argue, it's like, well, he was ahead. He had no reason to cheat. It's like, that's not really why people cheat. You know, people who cheat, they cheat. And you don't. Now I wonder, is this somebody that I've heard of before, Chris? Um, I had not met them. I don't know. But. Because there was also some. No, no, it's not. (laughs) It's not that. Okay. No, no. But yeah, the, there's already this. I, see, I don't know because I feel like there's already this level of play in some ways. How much more can the cash prize add? But I might be surprised that it's a lot more. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. <laughs> so, well, and then let's think esports have been doing this for quite a while. And there have been exploits in esports where people take advantage of bugs and things like that. But for the most part, you can keep it's a lot harder to cheat. In, yeah. in that kind of environment. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't watch a ton of it. I don't pay attention to a lot of it. But I rarely Ooh, hear I'm that. I'm so excited for all of our listeners to write in and tell us how easy it is to cheat at esports. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's easier or harder. But like you would think that if they're the exploits, like they could be exploited by both people. Right. So it's kind of like equal cheating, possibly. Yeah, that's true. Because the 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 game platform itself is the same to both people. Whereas when you're cheating at a card game or a tabletop game, you are cheating the other person. It's usually not the board. It's there. There's no computer keeping you honest. This isn't like, you know, taking advantage of an exploit that anyone can take advantage of or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, I, Esports, I do know one way of cheating it. Um, it's essentially you have plug-in software. So if you're playing something yeah. like Fortnite and you can actually have software that's running that you're playing Fortnite, but you have other software that's kind of like being like a bot and doing certain things for you. Like you're doing, you're moving around and doing whatever, but it can be doing some stuff that's just tedious and it can do it automatically. Or maybe um, it's just something cert- like running like 10% faster. Yeah. That can make the difference. Yep, and and you can know how to like most of computer games are done. Like the processing of what's happening is done on the local machine. It's not all done on the server. So it's there's people figure out how to how to cheat that as well. But if you're in the finals, you're actually going to some place. You're working on like a set computer without any of this extra stuff. So it's hard to cheat at the higher levels. But I can see how you could cheat at the lower levels. But this reminds me of our cheating episode where we're like, what's the difference between cheating and oops, I just made a mistake there. I didn't know that was a rule or I forgot to shuffle my cards after fanning through my discard pile, which is a possibility. I mean, I think part of this is it it doesn't just like it makes you responsible for the other player's actions in some ways. You have to it like elevates everyone's level of play because you're not just responsible for your actions. You're responsible for watching your opponent's actions. And this is something I don't know if this is true in a lot of other games, but I know in Keyforge, I've talked to judges. If somebody makes a mistake, it is your job as you, their opponent to notice that mistake and correct them. And if they and that's the moment you call the judge if they won't correct their mistake. You don't want to be caught out like three turns later being like, oh, well, this should have happened because then you both are penalized because it is the opponent's responsibility to maintain board state as much as it is the player. So, you know, you're going to be much more careful about watching. You can't take your opponent's turn to strategize. You have to be watching what they do the whole time. 
So I I don't know. I like that responsibility in some ways, but it's also, you know, more on your plate. Yeah. Well, and this game was one of the top four. So and there was a judge at the table and the judge didn't notice either. So like I said, there's a lot going on. And one of the things with card games is, you know, you you watch close up magicians. You can do anything with enough practice. Like yeah. you can you can shuffle those cards and put the cards exactly where you want them to go, um, which is another thing in another part of the video. Um, someone points out, notice how he's shuffling the card. The card that he saw on the bottom is now on the top of the deck. And then he offered the cut to his opponent. His opponent cut and he took the deck back and shuffled it again up until that card was on the top of the deck again. Like, what? no, you can't do you, that. You can't do that after. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, that's you just, cut and that's the is... end. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, and if I were the opponent watching this happen, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to cut, cut again. I shuffled. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'd be like, okay, you just reshuffled. I get a cut. Yep. If you well, refuse, he, I'm calling a judge. Like, and they did. <laughs> and they did. But they noted, it was like, and in that case, he didn't get that card where he wanted it to be, but not for lack of trying. And yeah. Yeah. So it's. This is the kind of thing I'm afraid of with cash prizes. And honestly, I've always avoided this. Even when Magic, well, I guess I don't remember if Magic had, they had some kind of pro, because I played back in 94, 95, like first couple years it was out. And I went to a couple events, um, but I just, I can't imagine, I barely like playing against Magic players at Friday Night Magic where there is no competition whatsoever. (laughs) I can't imagine going to a pro tournament for Magic and enjoying the players I'm playing against. I'm just, I, something in me just doesn't like that level of seriousness. So it's, I don't know. I, I'm going to go to the Vault Warrior. I'm going to participate in it. If I get into it, I will judge it more at that time. But I am still very concerned about the type of players that we see. And there's also a Vault Tour going on at the same time. So if you go to the Vault Warrior and you don't qualify, then you can go play the non-cash prize one and everyone's welcome to that. I mean, we're already seeing so much of this level of play. And there are so many other games that have tournaments where you get really high level of play, really competitive players, where there is and probably will never be a large cash prize. There might be small cash prizes, but not like a large cash prize. Something like Ticket to Ride. (laughs) Yeah. Ticket to Ride. I had no idea. Our friends... um, super into this game and she went and she was playing like all weekend at Gen Con and I had no idea that this was even a thing and she was telling me all of this like background information about this competitive scene I didn't even know existed for a game that I was like oh well this is just a casual gateway game. Pretty much you you can monetize anything which leads me to my next question. If you know (laughs) a game has cash tournaments do you take that game more seriously? Are you more likely to play it? Or are you more likely to be sort of what we're doing in some way where it's just like, I don't want to get involved in anything that has cash prizes or I'm not interested in that aspect of it. So it really just depends on the game itself. I don't care about anything else. Like, where do you guys stand on that? Um, I guess, again, for me, it's, I'm just like, I don't care if there's cash prizes <laughs> or not. Like the only tournament I've played in is the tournament, the key, the like the mini friendly key forge tournament that we had um, before. That was just like a bunch of a bunch of friends. And I, what was the what was the grand pot prize? It was like a play mat, a play mat. Like it was whatever. It was more like playing with friends 
rather than like trying to win for yep. me. Like if I if I placed great, if not, that's fine too. I don't I don't really care. Do you get competitive with anything? Um yeah, I mean I do, but just not things that I guess that would be I don't know, things that are supposed to be like fun to me and I don't know. I don't want to sink a bunch of money and time into something to like try to be competitive at something. I don't know. So so what are you competitive at? And, I, and the reason I ask, I'm trying to get like, there's, I guess there's like these collector mentalities and there's competitive mentalities and there's, so like, where are you on that scale? Like what would make you something that you're competitive with? You know, I don't know, honestly. I don't, maybe I'm not very competitive because <laughs> I just don't want to like, I have that kind of completionist mentality. And if I want to like start collecting something, then it's like, I want to collect all of the things that go along with this. But like, I don't know. I've done that before with like other trinkets or other things. And in the end, I just have like a bunch of stuff that I feel like I don't actually want anymore. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting that like I, the collector mentality may go hand in hand with the competitive thing. Because one of the things that I find is when I'm playing competitively, I want to win. And if I can't win, I feel like, eh, this was, I don't want to say a waste of time, because I do enjoy playing the game, and I enjoy meeting the people I'm playing with. So as long as I'm playing cool people, I don't think of it as a waste of time. But I do have a certain sense of, if I can't win the whole thing, then the whole thing was just for fun. Okay, so let me put it to you this way. I'm competitive, like, in any one particular game, I want to win that game. Okay. But I don't care about winning overall, or placing overall. Like, when I was in that Keyforge tournament that you set up, I wanted to win every single game. I was competitive in that regard. But I wasn't competitive in the regard of, like, I want to win this tournament. If that right. makes sense. That Well, and that does make sense. And I guess for me, every time I play a game, I want to... Every time I start a game, and I'm playing competitively, I assume I'm going to lose. Every single time. And when I do don't lose... It's like this huge weight lifted off me. Like I have, I feel like a ton of pressure when I'm playing competitively, which I don't necessarily like while I'm doing it. And when I do lose, like the first time I lose, I'm like, ah, now I don't have the pressure anymore. Now I'm cool with with just playing the game and having fun. And I enjoy that aspect of it. And I, I don't think I'm a competitive person. Have you ever played poker? Uh, I have. Yeah. What? How do How do you fare in poker? Um. I don't I don't think I've ever played poker really competitively. I've played blackjack in Vegas, but again, mm. for me that's just like more of like a fun thing. And in blackjack, you're just it's just you and the dealer. Like you're not right. playing against the other people, not really anyway. Yeah. Um so, yeah. See, I, Kitty, you've played poker, I'm assuming. You're married to Spencer. I have played poker, but I'm not that interested in playing poker. I enjoy it. Um, I don't know. I'm not that into math. And it feels like if you want to be good at it, you have to do a lot of math. So for me, the reason I ask is because like when math I'm playing, and memory. When I'm playing poker, I I play each hand. Like the, the correct way to play poker is statistically, you play the odds in every hand and 
you do certain things and and you can be good at poker like it's a lot less gambling than most other types of gambling because you're playing against actual people you're not playing against the house like blackjack the odds are set up against you poker the odds are not set up against you it it is you against other people but in when i whenever i play poker i'm always just playing for fun and i am done paying playing poker when i've lost all my money that's the only time like if I'm playing a tournament where eight people sit down and one person wins all, I'm either in that case you're done when you lose all your money or you win all your money. But in any other situation, it's like, all right, I've I'm bored with this game now. I'm just going to lose all my money and make some crazy long shot bets. I'm going to lose and then I'll walk away and I'm I'm totally fine with that. Like I don't, I sort of just kind of give up on being competitive. And I wonder if with a game like KeyForge or Magic. I wonder if I that's the same kind of thing. When I'm playing for money, at a certain point, I'm just done being competitive. And now I don't care what happens. I'm just going to do some crazy things and, and see what the results are and live with that. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I think that in some ways, gambling and making wagers is different than winning a prize because you're making it on like a hand-by-hand, turn-by-turn basis. Whereas like competing for a tournament prize i don't know it feels different like you you don't get to choose the stakes at each step the stakes are set from the very beginning and it's just so if you're talking world series of poker though the buy-in for the world series of poker is ten thousand dollars you get a stack of chips those chips are not money you're either going to walk away with a prize (laughs) yep they're just points and there is betting of your points but you're you're strategically betting them or holding them back at certain times to specifically get further up in the ranks. So all the way up until you lose all your points, it's strategy. And if you're just playing cash poker, it's different. If cash poker is what you're talking about. Um, but specifically, tournament poker is a lot more like this playing Magic or playing Keyforge, where each game you're wagering a certain number of points. Every move you make is strategic to try to beat your opponent at the time. And... It's just a lot of stress, I think. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) I mean, I think it's hard for me because poker is both very mathematical on one side, but it's also very human. So you are on one side playing the odds. You have to know all the math in your head. And then once you know all the math, then you are just playing the person sitting across from you. And it becomes much more of a bluffing social deduction game which i hate (laughs) (laughs) which so i i don't know um but yeah i I guess if you're playing for a tournament it's that same sort of mentality of like you just go in and play through to get the prize it's a little different than poker night with your friends where everyone puts in twenty dollars and somebody takes it all home so I guess I do more of the everyone puts in $20 and somebody takes it all home style of play. (laughs) All right. Well, you you like Keyforge. You've played in a handful of vault tours. Would it, is something like the Vault Warrior for cash prizes, is that something that you would want to play in? Yes, but I don't know if I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I were going to play in it, I would want to, gosh, I haven't played Keyforge even in weeks. Um, I would want to be better than I have been going into these 
non-cash prize vault tours. I want to take it more seriously. And it's not that I haven't taken those seriously. It's just I haven't put in the before the tournament time. So, like, I don't think my gameplay at the table would be different. Like, my style would be different. But I would want, like, more knowledge about, like, if I see my opponent's deck list, I want to know what every card on there does. If I, and, you know, right now, maybe I'm at, like, 60% card knowledge, but I would really, you know, want everything in my head. I want I want to know those odds, except it's not odds because I hate those. I want to know the, well, if I see Gold Key Imp on his deck, I know what that means. If I see Grey Riders, I know what that means. Like, they're, I, I want to know the cards immediately. I want to know that. I want to put in the, the homework much more than... If there's not a cash prize. And I don't know why that difference is, um, except that maybe it gives you an edge to win, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is definitely at the competitive level. So a vault tour can be a very relaxed thing. I would say probably a good third to half of the people there have are play very casually. The ones that win are the ones that play, you know, dozens of games a week, if not more. They know all the combos. They know what cards to look for. They know how to play against certain cards that they might see. And and then you have the hyper level where it's like they know every card in your deck because they can remember it all. And they know every card they've seen. So they know what's in your hand when there's only three cards left in your deck. That level I will never be at. And I never want to be at that level. But playing the cards and knowing the cards is super important. And the fastest way to learn cards is to play them. So there's a new set coming out next month. And if you've been to Target, um, you already have several decks of them, which I have. But um, <laughs> <laughs> or if you're Chris, so, yeah. Well, so Keyforge tangent, not really, because we're still talking about Keyforge. But um, so there's a new deck called Worlds Collide, or a new set com- called Worlds Collide coming out next month, and Target got them in stock two weeks ago or about a week ago, and someone saw a starter bu- deck or starter box at Target, posted it on Reddit, and then it sort of just spread through the internet saying, oh my God, these things are available at Target. Problem is they were never on the shelves. So you had to get the inventory number, call Target, see if they had it. They would say, oh, it's not on the shelves. Let me check in the back. Yep, we have some copies. They would bring it up, save it for you. And then you go and you pick it up at Target. So I picked up three boxes. And so now Sydney and I have six decks and we've been playing Worlds Collide because Target is releasing them early, apparently. Um, As far as I can (laughs) tell, they're sold out just about everywhere. But it's now you know every card that's online but until you play it like we we saw some of the cards online but until you play it it's a very different thing and we are specifically doing this like one of the reasons that we went out of our way to get these cards is because we're doing a sealed vault tour for worlds collide in indianapolis in three weeks and this was is basically the debut of the set but having those extra plays of even just a handful of decks is a huge advantage and everyone Maybe not everyone, but a lot of the competitive people at the Vault Tour are all going to have done this. So if you're a casual person and you're like, oh, we're going to go. Nobody's ever played these decks before. Nobody's seen these cards. And then you get there and you realize, oh, wait, everyone already knows all of this stuff. And now I'm at a disadvantage. And this was supposed to be like a sealed tournament that nobody, you know, we're all on equal footing. I can see how that can be a little bit disheartening and discouraging. But for Sydney and I, it's like... Yeah, but we don't want to. We don't want to play you don't fair. Want to purposely if, if else handicap is. yourself. Yeah, right. when you know that there are competitive players out there who are doing the same thing. Yep. 
So yeah, and it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff that just makes me go, eh. but again, we would have done this even if there was no money on the line. So I don't know that the money makes a difference. Yeah, because there is this like this sealed tournament you're going to, there is no money on the line for There's this. There's no money. Yeah. It's yeah. just price. So just you're price doing it. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're already and, doing it. <laughs> yeah. And we're doing it because we really like playing the game and getting, you know, if, if you're playing Magic or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever, and you have a chance to see the cards in the next set, like four weeks earlier, that's a really cool thing. So, so even if you feel a little guilty doing it. This brings up another point for me. Which I've seen this in Keyforge. I don't know if this exists in other um, competitive circuits. Teams. Are there magic teams or is it all individual players? There are magic teams for certain. Yes. And other competitive games, I would assume, also have teams. <laughs> yeah. And so by teams, um, we're talking about a group of people that are essentially, they practice together. When they get to an event, they are even in magic, like you can be sponsored. So say you have a team of six people, they may get sponsored. Somebody spent, you know, $200 a piece to enter them in the tournament. The team wins together. If one person wins, the team gets the prize, the sponsor gets a cut of it, but everyone on the team gets a cut. So that's kind of what you can do there. Another thing that teams do are scout other decks. So as you get knocked out, you're watching the competition and then you report back to your teammate and say, hey, this is what he has and check this and be careful for that. So it's kind of shenanigan-y. It's not explicitly against the rules, but it's if you're on a team, you just have a better chance because you have you have a better chance to win a prize because you have more people that could potentially win and you're getting more information because the team is helping give you that information. Um, and on Keyforge, you know, there's a similar thing and that it goes on just kind of organically. Even if you're not on a team, people will talk about different decks like, oh, that guy's deck is like has, you know, four quad, four routine jobs in it or whatever the case is, you know, so it's like, oh, right. I People are just talking about the deck because it's unique. So, but so now that they're offering cash prizes, Tim, we're looking for sponsors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tim is our local game store at the Gift of Games. Um, but interesting you should mention teams. He's definitely because not going to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's been talking about sponsoring us for a while. Ooh, um, we've got a great spot for his logo. Yeah. It goes Apparently, really well I was name. told that someone came into the game store yesterday because they had heard about him on our podcast. See? Wow. So, totally yeah. worth it, Tim. Uh, totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> when I start uh, commentating, it'll really elevate our team. Yeah, I want to set something up because I really I I like commenting. Yeah, um, what interesting you should mention teams though because the pro the world pro pro world the worlds for Keyforge which are non monetary they're the kind of the highest level of organized play tournaments is a team event where you play with there's three people on one side of the table three people on the other side and you're on teams and it's best two out of three of that so if two of the teammates win your team wins and advances together. So it's going to be a very, I don't think they've ever done a vault tour teams like that. So it's going to be kind of fun. We played a couple of them at the last vault tour we went to, and it's a really fun format because you can actually talk to your teammates and like, someone's like, Oh, should I use this or should I use that? Or how does this work again? And you can get advice from your teammates while you're playing. So Chris? <laughs> they made me sit in the middle, but um, of course, <laughs> but I mean, ultimately there's not a whole lot of back and forth because 
you're the person playing the game and you know like everything's been going on. But sometimes you'll have a question like, ah, should I do this or should I do that? And then you, you have a second person to kind of run the math and say, oh, well, if you do this, this was the better thing. Also, you can bluff him on the other side. Also, save that card for when he has more amber and then use it there. And it's all mind games, really. But I don't know. Like I said, this is just interesting to me. I think that this is a good thing for Keyforge. Actually, I know this is a good thing for Keyforge. Um, it's going to raise the visibility of it. It's going to bring more players into the game. It's pretty much anything that you do this with, it it legitimizes it in a little bit. Um, I don't play Hearthstone anymore just because the Blizzard account login system screwed me over. And also, I'm not good at Hearthstone. Um, but <laughs> if I did... I would probably play, you know, I would play in an entry level tournament. Why not? If I could qualify and get into the next level and get to the next level, I would totally do that. Uh, all of these things, if it's easy to to enter, it's like, yeah, why not try? See what happens. And then you get knocked out and you're like, all right, well, that's fine. Now I don't feel stressed and I can go play the fun, the fun levels. Do they have dates and locations set for this yet? Um, they do. I don't know the dates off the top of my head. I know that Worlds is in the Twin Cities area, so Minneapolis. And so we're but definitely like, going to that. I thought Worlds was in DC. No, that it? that was a different thing. And that's already done. And it was very, very poorly advertised. I don't even know what it was. I think it was like a grand champion. That's what it was, is a grand champion. That's another thing that Keyforge is doing right now is they have so many different tournament types that people have a hard time keeping up with it. But Right now, Worlds will be in in the Twin Cities. That'll be the team event. You need to be in the top 100 on the Vault Tour list or have won a prime event that are being run all around the country to get an invite into the Worlds. So we will, right now, let's see, Doug, me, and Sydney all should get invites and then go to Minneapolis and play in the world championship, which is going to be fun. And then the vault warrior is the finals are in Miami, Florida, but then there are 10 qualifiers that will be around the U S I think around the U S there might be a couple in Europe as well. I think, but yeah, we need to do a Keyforge podcast because we talk about it too much and I can get it. (laughs) All right. We have a few little tidbits of mail. I wanted to get to, um, actually Andrew, uh, Fayesh responded to us about uh, something, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read that, and then Kitty, I'm gonna make you read the uh, Derek story because I thought that one was I like this one too. Um, but anyway, so Andrew, we he had he was the um, he told us about the Magic tournament. Fletcher actually read this about the Magic tournament that you know he just played a couple games of Magic, got to the finals, and basically got screwed over because the guy didn't explain the rules or wasn't wasn't obeying the maintained game state part of the rules. But he got a uh one of magic well, he opened a magic card worth about $150 and we were wondering if he sold it or not. And he did. He sold it a little bit later, he said, for $110. Um I also I think I mentioned that we hadn't heard from him in a while and that was a complete lie. Andrew emails us pretty much monthly and <laughs> I I only check email monthly and I don't know. For some reason, it just slipped my mind. So sorry, Andrew. I didn't. I didn't mean to forget you. He's been so loyal for years now. We don't run inbox zero for the TGT. Uh, <laughs> we do not. As <laughs> and we as just get Kitty like a reads, ton of people like trying to offer us stuff. There's scams. We've been getting more and more. Yeah, and I really got to turn off the the Twitter spam. That's true. 
we get stuff from Twitter. It's like, hey, this is what you've missed on Twitter. I'm like, no. <laughs> Why do we have this? <laughs> What's the other one? I get custom ink emails all the time. They're turned off on the regular one, but they always show up in my phone. I don't know why the settings on my phone are different than, the, but ugh, custom yeah. ink, constant. We currently have, and and I delete, so I, I file away all our um, podcast statistics. I delete the Twitters and the custom inks and uh, a few other minor ones, but our inbox, without counting any of those, still has 772 emails that are just kind of i've i've read all of them but i just haven't like filed them into any folders as read (laughs) uh no this is this is there's only 76 that are not marked as read yeah because you leave them marked as unread until like episode like they've been used basically and it drives me insane because (laughs) i keep my inbox i don't like the little notification badge and it makes me crazy uh yes Welcome to, yeah, multiple people checking the same email account. (laughs) (laughs) Tabletop game talk group therapy. Yep. How does that make you feel? (laughs) This next one's a good one. Read it. Okay. All right. So Derek says, my story is not one that is a specific moment, but your contest got me thinking about moments in my gaming career. It made me ponder my game group. Most of the guys I game with were my friends previously by some sort of of other means, but we never really hung out specifically before. It was always at church, a birthday party, kid event, etc. Once I got started gaming, though, it gave me an opportunity to invite the guys over for something specific that I enjoy doing and that provides time to chat and catch up. Most of the guys had never experienced games like we play, so watching them go from, sure, I'll come try it out, to now showing up almost every Saturday and not batting an eye at tapping a card or resource switching or whatever other gaming term we threw around is quite cool. Not only did gaming provide something enjoyable to do, but it cultivated a deeper friendship with people in my life that might have moved on since our kids have grown up or we've changed location. Thanks for helping me ponder my gaming moments. Yeah, I really like this one because I can relate to this. It's sometimes hard to make friends as an adult if you're not meeting them at, at something that you're already like, I don't know, work. Work is a, is the most common place because you have to be there. So you make friends with the people that you're working with because you, you're forced to hang out together. But if you meet people that you just kind of like and it's like, hey, come on over and let's sit on the couch and talk. It's just awkward, I think, as yeah. an adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. So like having something Gaming to gives do. gives you a reason to like keep adult friendships because, you know, and may I recommend starting a podcast because when me and Chris lived in the same building, we hung out so much more often, but I still talk to him at least once a week. <laughs> yep. Now that Fletcher quit and is on his new job and I still get to see Fletcher every week, you know, it it's having that dedicated time is, I don't know, it's important It's and it's cool. And you can do that with just about anything like sports, you know, we get together and watch football every Sunday or whatever. Like you can do that with a lot of different things, but I think with gaming in general, there's just a lot of depth there. There's a lot of things to do. And I don't know. I, I just, I like this one. This one resonated with me quite a bit. Like I have a lot of friends that I hang out with on Wednesdays when I go to the game store that if it wasn't for that, we would never see each other. And we've made plans to hang out outside of that now. It's like, oh, we should get together and do this. You know, not on a Wednesday. It was like, that's crazy talk. But yeah, let's do that. Gaming, bringing people together since Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I'm going to tease the uh, 
the memorable moment we're going to read is about Monopoly. So uh, just get excited. It's actually pretty good. All right. Anything yeah, else? Everybody that we have? get excited about Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is a story about the most house ruled Monopoly I have ever heard of. So you know who you are. And now I have to remember to put that in the notes next week. <laughs> All right. So we had our winners last week. Um, I've heard from Michael. I have not yet heard from, I believe it was Jason Marks, right? Does that sound familiar? We didn't know. <laughs> oh, right. You did it. You I said didn't. It. <laughs> Hold on. I have it written down. Yes, Jason Marks. It is literally written down in front of me. So, Jason, send me your email. I need to know cool stuff for Amazon. Um, otherwise, you can follow us on Facebook at slash Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. You can leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if that's if you want the politically Apple correct version. And you can help us out at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wong, Stephen Phillips, Kayla O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrett, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yadikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate Faslintham, Sean Peck, Eric Sealander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Trim... Tim Vernick, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wolkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Miltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letgo, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, and Agnes Toth. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Do the last three names to you kind of seem like they belong into like a, a sci-fi universe? Weatherman Keith, they, Nicholas Lotz, <laughs> Agnes Toth? I'd adventure with them. Yeah. They sound a little Star Warsian. Yeah, they do.